Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, you lovely, lovely people. Welcome back to another episode of Dr. Low Radio. I am your host, Dr. Lauren Noel. Thank you so much for joining me again. I hope you all had a wonderful, lovely Labor Day weekend. I know it was a three-day weekend, so hopefully you had a chance to hang with your family, go to some barbecues, just kick back and enjoy life. It's always good to take time out of your schedule just to relax and connect with each other. Hopefully you put your phones down, put your computers away, and just talked with each other in person. What a concept. And uh, I've been having a good time over here. Actually, this week, and I didn't really have the whole Labor Day experience. I was actually moving, so I was doing all of that. But I'm settled now, so it feels nice to just be in one place, not you know moving around all the time anymore. So that feels really, really good. Hopefully you guys uh, checked out last week's show. I had Mark Sisson on the show. He's author of The Primal Blueprint. I call him kind of like the, the paleo godfather. And uh, we are talking about how to be a primal expert. And he was talking about his... Um, his Primal Blueprint Expert Certification. So check that out if you're wanting to learn more about how to kind of take your paleo knowledge to the next level. It was a great show. I loved it. It was just very conversational. I just love Mark. He's just like hanging, hanging out with a friend. So yeah, check out that show if you guys missed that. And all the previous shows you can check out at drlowradio.com. And one thing I'm doing that's a new thing is each week I'm going to be recording a short video of my favorite highlights from each podcast and then sending them out in an email to you guys. If you want to see my face rather than just hear me on the airwaves, go ahead and check that out, you can go over and sign up for the email list at drlaurennoel.com, and you will get my weekly updates and my favorite highlights from each show. Um, Also, I've been really into Instagram lately. I am the biggest nerd ever. I get really excited about gold stars. If you guys remember back in elementary school when you get a gold star for something and it made you really good about doing it. So I've been posting my progress. I I just started using a responsibility chart. And yes, it's supposed to be for elementary school kids. But I've used it for myself. I've created my own little chores or different things that I'm assigning to myself like have no sugar or uh, have a morning ritual or exercise, all these different things I've been doing, I've been giving myself little stars for it and putting it on Instagram. So if you guys want to check out my progress and maybe get inspired to do something like that of your own, check me out on there. It's healthy low, healthy L-O, one word, on Instagram. And I think I'm going to create my own responsibility charts. I think that would be great. I've had so much feedback. Oh, my God, where'd you get that? I'm just giving this guy so much business on Amazon. It's like, what a concept, you know? Responsibility charts for adults. So check that out, and then also any other, you know, social media, facebook.com slash Noel, Twitter, I'm at Noel on Twitter. And, of course, if you'd like to call in and ask a question to the live show tonight, you can do so, 818-495-6919. That's 818-495-6919. And mark your calendars. Next week's show, we will have Dr. Beverly Whipple on the show. She is the author of The G-Spot and The Science of Orgasm. I don't know if it's just me, but I feel like I've been having a lot of sex talk on this show lately. I don't know why that's happening, but we're getting a lot of requests for it. And for some reason, these authors reach out to me, and apparently, this is like nutrition, you know, natural medicine slash sex show, I guess. But it's fun, and I think it's something people want to learn about. So that's next week, September 9th. Mark your calendars. On to tonight's show. We have the 
awesome, hilarious, super smart Jonathan Baylor on. He is so great. I got to meet him a few weeks ago at JJ Virgin's Mastermind, and he just cracks me up. This man just smiles with his entire body. When he laughs, he just, like, it's like he flies, like, three feet away from you as he laughs. He's just so funny, puts his whole body into it, and he's just super smart. Got to chat with him a bunch by the pool and just talking up nerd stuff and funny things and got to dance with him and his amazingly hot wife at <laughs> at one of the, the dances that were there, and um, it was it was just a blast. I'm excited to have him on the show to talk about his book, The Calorie Myth. Jonathan Baylor, he is a New York Times bestselling author. He's the founder of SaneSolution.com, a nutrition and exercise expert. And he's a former personal trainer who specializes in using modern science and technology to simplify health, which I love that about his book. He takes really complicated stuff and really makes it very easy to understand. He has collaborated with the top scientists for more than 10 years. He's analyzed over 1,300 studies and 10,000 pages of research and garnering endorsements by top doctors and scientists from Harvard Medical School, John Hopkins, and UCLA. And to add even more uh, evidence for how much of a nerd he is, he's registered over 25 patents, and he has served as a senior program manager at Microsoft. He blogs for the Huffington Post. He has a, a popular syndicated health radio show. He's just amazing. So, Jonathan, thanks, thanks so much for coming on the show. Welcome to Dr. Low Radio. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, and I appreciate the three feet of explosive smile <laughs> sentiment. That I, I, I got to explode my mic sometimes, so forgive me if that happens during our recording today. <laughs> I just find that when I'm talking to you, my face, like, it's like I'm smiling so big the whole time, my face starts to hurt. I actually remember my face hurting during that weekend because I was laughing so hard, mostly at you. Well, you know, it's, it's not a reputation, I, I got to say, that I, I want to have in the sense that <laughs> If women's face hurt when they talk to me, I, I, you know, I, that could be interpreted in many different ways. So I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> well, thank God you're married, right? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Jonathan, it's so good to have you on the show. And I know that this, this book, it's not like a super recent release. I know it, it came out, you know, several months ago, but I'm just now getting my hands on it. By the way, I did have the book delivered today, so I know I was kind of bugging your publicist trying to, or publisher trying to get um, a copy of it as a PDF, so I appreciate them being so cool about it, but I did get a copy in my hand, so I have it right here, and it's just an awesome book. I mean, you put so much time and effort into this and really make super complicated stuff really easy to understand. So how much time did it take you to write this thing? Oh, thank you so much. It, yeah, this is not just a uh, cookie-cutter book by any means. It's, it was a, over a decade of my life in the works. I didn't, I didn't start out on the journey intending to write a book. I just am a geeky guy, and I really I enjoy technical topics. So that's why I was a senior program manager at Microsoft for more than a decade, because I like to work with really technical people. I'm not a coder myself, but I like to work with coders to get in their minds and then translate what they sometimes have a hard time communicating because they're so wickedly smart, and, and figuring out a way to communicate that and, and turn it into systems that everyday people can use. And so I did that. I love doing that with technology, and I love doing that with biology as well. Uh, simply because I had some struggles in my personal life when I was younger uh, prior to being an engineer at Microsoft. Uh, my first job was as a personal trainer, and I had some really interesting experiences there, which turned me on to human biology, and then I really have that engineer mindset, so just wanted to deconstruct it and understand it. 
And then people said, why don't you write this down? So one thing led to another, and, and uh, well over a decade after I started, a book called The Calorie Myth came out and, and ended up doing quite well, so that was very nice. Well, I think a lot of this is probably bo- kind of born out of your, I don't know if it's frustration or just, just your love of your clients. You wanted to give them something that they could really understand and actually something that works because you were working with clients for, I mean, how many years were you as a personal trainer? I wasn't a trainer that long because it didn't take more than two or three years for me to give up. And what I mean by that is I was taught what most people continue to be taught today through no fault of their own. I mean, you can't control what you're taught. In some ways, the Internet has changed things a little bit. But anyway, I digress. I was taught what most people are taught today, which is that obesity is a character flaw and that you just need to try harder. It's, it's a moral failing, and because it's a moral failing, there's really no point to have a scientific discussion about it because if the people are just stupid and lazy, well, what role does science have to play in making people less stupid and lazy, right? They just need to try harder. So I was versed in the personal trainer mindset of more of a, uh, a punisher. You know, you're the person who needs to force the people that don't have their own willpower to burn more calories and to starve themselves harder. But here was the wrinkle. So at the same time that I was telling, I at this time I was in my early 20s, this is the way I paid my way through college, so late teens, early 20s. The vast majority of my clients were females who were moms or grandmothers, so different gender and significantly different age from me. And at that time I was putting these, these beautiful, lovely, intelligent women on 1,200-calorie diets, and having them do just chronic, chronic cardio. At the same time, I was consuming about 6,000 calories per day because I wanted to be a big, strong football player. Now, while my dear female clients were not getting smaller but were getting sick and sad, Mm. I was eating five times more calories than they were, doing less cardio than they were, and I was also becoming sick and sad and also not achieving my goals. Mm -hmm. So I said to myself, self... You, you can no longer blame these people for not trying harder. Just saying, like, I don't care how many food journals you show me, you clearly aren't actually eating 1,200 calories because I knew that I was eating 6,000 calories per day. I kept a little Excel spreadsheet. I did double shots of olive oil because it's very difficult to consume that many calories consistently. And I knew that it wasn't getting me, getting me any larger. So who was I to say that just blind caloric restriction should be getting these people smaller? So much like a physician, such as yourself, who if you saw patients and they got worse, not better, every time you saw them, you'd probably stop doing what you're doing because I'm sure you got in the business to help people. So I, I wasn't a trainer for that long because I didn't feel qualified, and, and that's when I went on this 10-plus year journey to hopefully feel more qualified. Hmm. So what would you tell old Jonathan back then now, or I guess if you were, were Jonathan then and talking to those clients, what would you have done differently working with them, knowing what you know? There's one key paradigm shift well, let's say that there's two. And uh, Gary Tobbs was one of the first people to try to communicate this, but Gary is like so smart that sometimes he can, he can talk at a level that not everyone can understand. So two key distinctions. Right. One is telling someone that they need to eat less and exercise more is analogous to – so I, I live in Seattle – world champion Seahawks, Seattle Seahawks, <laughs> Super Bowl yeah. champions. 
So imagine that on the off chance that the Super Bowl champion, Seattle Seahawks, lost a football game. They lost a football game. Everyone in Seattle is depressed. The head coach calls a press conference, and the press immediately says, Coach, why did you lose this game? And the coach looks down, scratches his head, looks up very inquisitively and says, you know, our opponent scored too many points and we scored too few points. (laughs) Everyone in the press conference would look at the coach like he's a moron because he just stated a description of what happened, not an explanation of why it happened or how the team could avoid it in the future. But we the same thing happens every day in personal training offices, in medical offices, and just around dinner tables and water coolers where people say, I'm struggling with my weight, and individuals respond with, well, clearly you just need to eat less and exercise more. That doesn't explain anything. It's, it's another analogy, just because I think analogy is the best way to communicate stuff sometimes. Imagine someone was struggling psychologically rather than metabolically. So maybe someone just had a terrible event happen in their life, they're suffering from uh, depression, and they walk into their psychiatrist's office. Their psychiatrist sits them down and says, look, Mary, let's say the person's name is Mary, says, look, Mary, here's, here's the situation. I've got to figure it out. I've got a diagnosis for you. You just need to frown less and smile more. Of course, Mary would ask for her money back, because that's, that, that provides no information. Mary knows that she has a shortage of smiles and an abundance of frowns in her life, but what she's asking for is why is that happening? Why is it that no matter how hard I try, I continue to frown and have a hard time smiling? Think about this in terms of obesity. Imagine you have a person, and then I'll stop talking. You talk for a little bit. <laughs> I get excited about this. <laughs> Imagine you have a person, if you, and it's later in the day. I usually do my interviews early in the day, so I get loopy later in the day. So <laughs> imagine you've got a person. We're doing all sorts of imagination. It's like, I love it. Not, all right, so imagine you have a person. That's not too hard to imagine, especially if you live in the Midwest. Imagine you have a person who has, let's say, 100 pounds of, of surplus fat on their body, right? Not super uncommon in this country. 100, and this isn't just 100 pounds of fat. This is 100 pounds of too much fat, okay? That person's body has approximately, let's, let's assume the 3,500 calories in a pound of fat thing we hear is true, that person has 350,000 calories sitting in their body hmm. already. Why are they ever hungry? That in and of itself shows, like that simple distinction, this isn't, a, like, it's, it's so much deeper than willpower, right? If you have... Three, if you eat a big meal, let's say a 1,000-calorie meal, you're going to be full for a long time. But why is it that you can have 350,000 calories already in your body and be hungry all the time? Mm-hmm. Doesn't that indicate yeah. that maybe there's something neurological going on or hormonal going on or just a deeper problem in general? That was only distinction one. Do you want to hear about distinction two? <laughs> I really, really do. <laughs> All right, so distinction two is much quicker. It's much quicker, but it's, it's like the corollary to distinction one. So distinction two is as follows. Imagine your car was running really poorly, right? Would putting just, just – it's running poorly. So it's, this is not running well. It's just it's like making weird sounds, and it doesn't seem to have you know, as much kick as it used to have. You wouldn't think that that was a problem with the quantity of fuel in your gas tank. 
It wouldn't, like, the amount of fuel you have in your car doesn't determine how it runs. It determines how long it can run. It's an energy source. But what actually determines how well your car is running is the quality of fuel you put in it, right? If you put kerosene or lighter fluid in your car's gas tank, it's not going to run well. And that's not a function of you putting too much fuel into the car's gas the car's gas tank, it's a function of you putting the wrong fuel in the car's gas tank. So if you put premium gasoline in your car's gas tank, wouldn't it make sense that the car would run a little bit better than if you put, for example, lighter fluid in the car's gas tank, which might sound like a silly example, but today, if you look at the way people fuel their bodies, we don't eat food anymore, right? For mm-hmm. thousands and thousands, dare I say millions of years, depending on your religious beliefs, we ate things you could find in nature, plants and animals. Forty to sixty percent of the average American's diet does not come from either plants or animals anymore. So we're putting lighter fluid in our gas tank and people are saying, well, your problem is you're just putting too much gas in your gas tank. That's not the problem at all. The problem is not the abundance of calories. The abundance of calories is the result of a poor quality of fuel and then a dysfunctional body saying, this fuel isn't getting the job done, so I need more and more and more. Mm-hmm. So principle one is really the whole calories in, calories out, not not really, not really legit, you know. And number two is it's calories are not created equal, right? It's like different kinds of fuel. And I think explaining that to those clients, it would probably really free up a lot of guilt and just because I mean I, I get this, I get patients coming in here all the time, and they're like they show me what they eat, and their main, you know symptom or complaint is they can't lose weight and it's like they're eating like birds and they can't lose weight and they work out like crazy they do hot yoga like every day or twice a day sometimes and it's so frustrating because they beat themselves up so being able to really understand this and and see that it's really not so much about calories in calories out and that if you are really looking at calories it's the kinds of calories you're having so comparing you know 100 calories of you know twinkies versus 100 calories of Steak. I mean, it's a very different kind of ball game, right? Is that kind of what what principle one and two are saying, or am I totally off track? <laughs> you're not totally off track at all. I think you're 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 right. You're right next to the track. So I'm going to give Yay. you one quick. I'm going to give a one quick point of clarification. But mm-hmm. and although it's minor and kind of semantic, I think it's critical because uh, I'm not the first person by any means to say that calories should not be the focus. But what often happens in America, especially on the Internet, is people see a book titled The Calorie Myth, and they think that I'm saying that calories are a myth and that calories Mm -hmm. don't matter at all and that calories in, calories out is like unicorns and is just nonsense. Okay, I don't think anyone is saying that. What we're saying and what the science has now proven is that calories exist. There's Mm -hmm. no question that they exist, and they, they matter, but they are one piece of a massively more complicated problem and to focus on them exclusively, which is what's happened in our culture, is not only wrong, it's counterproductive. Here's one silly example. Heroin has no calories in it. Does that mean it's good for you? Right? I mean, but seriously, by the logic, that people say, that's a crazy example. Walk into McDonald's. Look at a Coca-Cola billboard. 
they hang their hat on the fact Coke says it's only 140 calories. Hell, Diet Coke doesn't even have any calories in it. What's the mm. problem? It's just a 100-calorie snack pack, everything in moderation, right? Mm. But what we are starting to understand, what the actual hardcore clinical science, when you look at neurobiology and gastroenterology and endocrinology, not even necessarily nutrition science, but when you look at these biochemical arenas, calories in and of themselves are just benign. They're energy. It just, just, it's a, okay, here, energy. You need this to live. What actually determines your, if your body functions or not is everything else, right? If you don't eat enough vitamin C, you get a disease. If you don't eat enough amino acids, you die. Calories are one of many elements, and all these other elements, we don't say you know, how many milligrams of thiamine did you consume today? And were you sure to balance milligrams of thiamine in and milligrams of uh, thiamine out? We don't, we don't perceive any other aspect of this equation as this ludicrous mathematical thing. And, and because we have, we have this flawed map of how the human body works, uh, much like thinking the earth is flat. It's just a flawed paradigm. And if you think the earth is flat... I mean, it's intuitive. Look out your window. It looks like the earth is flat. But sadly, once you understand science, it's wrong. And once you understand that it's wrong and things like gravity exist, that can mean that you can uh, sail all around the world and you won't fall off. Once you understand that calories aren't inherently bad, they're neutral. It's everything else that comes along with calories that are good or bad. It frees you up to sail all around the world in terms of the foods you eat and the exercises you do. And you don't live in this mathematical uh, cage where calories determine everything you do. It's just ludicrous. Mm-hmm. No more being a victim to, to rules of nutrition. And you can eat in, in abundance certain foods on this plan, right? You, like the green leafy veggies and other foods you talk about. I mean, you, don't ha- you get to eat a lot more than what you might have been eating before, right? That's exactly right. The subtitle of the book is, says how to eat less, oh, excuse me, eat, no, not that, how to eat more. No, 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 I just ruined everything. Can we start the interview over? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just hang up on you. <laughs> exactly. How to eat more, exercise less, uh, lose weight, and live better. I pr- would have preferred for it to say lose fat and live better, but got to make compromises every once in a while with the publisher. And abso- this is absolutely the case. Uh, eating in abundance of the right types of food. Again, this is how nefarious, to use a million-dollar word, these calorie myths are, right? We have to sit here and explain why eating an abundance of the right kinds of food is good for you. Mm -hmm. Food is the only way to get that which is essential for life, vitamins, minerals, amino acids, fatty acids. These are required for life. And if you want more of them, and you want to have better health, and you want to give your body the raw material it needs to function well and even to heal itself, of course you need to eat an abundance of the right types of foods. And that message, a message of enjoy an abundance of the right types of foods so you heal the underlying neurological, gastroenterological, and endocrinological causes of obesity such that your brain automatically balances calories for you, just like it does in every other species on the planet. Isn't it amazing that cats can't count calories, but they don't become (laughs) obese when you leave them to their own dynamic? That is what we need to do. We need that abundance of food to heal our body and restore our body's natural ability to balance calories for us automatically. Mm, Preach, Jonathan. Preach. (laughs) Love it. 
So let's talk about the concept of set point because I know that there's people listening who are frustrated. You know, they've been uh, working out really hard and eating according to the way they think they, they really should and everything they've been taught, and they just feel like they're, they're at this set point, and no matter what they do, they cannot lose weight beyond that. So you talk about this in your book, how to determine what your set point is, how do you change it. Talk a little bit about that. This is the un, this is another key distinction, right? The reason that the calories in, calories out doesn't the way it's been presented to us is not helpful, and the reason the quality of calories matters so much is there's this overarching system, this this self-regulating or homeostatic system in our body. And homeostatic seems like a big word, but we all learned it in high school biology class, homeostasis which is just that every biological organism in the world, from a flower to a cheetah to your sister, tries to maintain balance automatically, right? That's just how living, the only reason something is able to stay alive is because it's maintaining balance in a certain range. If your body temperature becomes too low or too high, you die, right? Your body has to have an automatic regulatory system to maintain the range in which life can exist. So you drink more water, you automatically urinate more. You walk into a hot room, you automatically sweat more. You don't need to balance water in and water out consciously. Your body does it unconsciously. You don't have to manage breaths in consciously and breaths out consciously. You could if you wanted to, and if there was a reality television show about it, people probably would, but you don't have to if you don't want to, if your brain is working correctly. So the set point just describes that just like every other mission-critical function in our body, energy balance is automatically regulated by our body. And people used to call this the set point theory. That was many decades ago before a bunch of research was done. This is not a theory anymore, any more than it's a theory that blood sugar or blood pressure is homeostatically regulated. What we mean by that is if you look at any scientific study that's ever been conducted which restricts calories, all you need to show to show, hey, is the body trying to balance itself automatically, is does the body consistently respond to a restriction of calories, a.k.a. reduction of calories in, with an automatic and unconscious reduction of calories out? And the answer is yes. If you don't believe this, don't eat tomorrow and watch how cold and tired you get. That's because your body is automatically slowing down in an effort to counterbalance fewer calories in with fewer calories out. Similarly, in overfeeding studies, believe it or not, these exist. <laughs> there, there, there's quite a few done. Uh, there was some pretty famous one done on prison inmates, in fact, where these inmates were told to eat and eat and eat, and what they found was when individuals were eating 5,000 or 10,000 calories per day, their base metabolic rate spiked in an effort to try to balance calories out for them automatically. So this also explains how you can have a 70-year-old postmenopausal woman who's eating 800 calories per day and still not able to lose weight. Her body has balanced itself out in a way where 800 calories per day, while it seems like too few calories, her body has become so accustomed and used to that that it's balancing itself out at that point. So what we need to do is not tell this, this woman who's struggling, you know, eat 400 calories per day, but rather how can we change that system itself to demand more than 800 calories per day and to start burning, let's say, 400 additional calories per day automatically from your hips rather than with food that passes through your lips. Hmm. So how does that happen? Um, how do you go from that place? Because I know for this woman, she's used to, she's eating 800 calories. She knows if she eats 1,000, she, she puts on a pound. 
You know, I mean, it just happens. It's just like she goes into freak-out mode. So, I mean, how do you go from that just like barely being able to get by with how she's eating to then being able to eat somewhat of a more balanced diet and still maintain her weight or even lose weight? First step is psychological because as long as she or he, whatever the case may be, is thinking in terms of calories, this is going to be a challenge. This is going to be a challenge. But if you think instead in terms of sanity or what I posit should replace calories or calories 2.0, same score, you would think in terms of primarily four food groups. First is non-starchy vegetables. These are vegetables you could eat raw. You don't have to eat them raw, but you could eat them raw. For example, corn and potatoes can't be eaten raw. Those are not non-starchy vegetables, whereas green leafy vegetables, peppers, asparagus, broccoli, mushrooms, all that good stuff, non-starchy vegetables. Uh, Nutrient-dense protein would be the second food group. These are humanely raised animals, wild-caught seafood, uh, foods that have a lot of essential nutrients in it and get the vast majority of their calories from the macronutrient protein. So non-starchy vegetables, nutrient-dense protein. Next is whole food fats. So these are a whole food. So olive oil is not a whole food. doesn't mean it's bad for you. It just doesn't fit into this category. Olives are a whole food that get the vast majority of their calories from fat also very nutrient-dense, so whole food fats, and then finally low-fructose fruits. So we need to think in terms of those those four food groups, and we need to eat just in abundance, just an abundance of non-starchy vegetables. That's like rule number one, and I know it's not easy. Kermit the Frog has told us for many years it's not easy being green, but we can do it. We can do it with the thanks of modern technology like Vitamixes and blenders and all kinds of good stuff. We can make green smoothies, and we can eat 10-plus servings of non-starchy vegetables per day. That, in and of itself, will provide a therapeutic dose of nutrition that will very much help to neutralize and reverse many of the dysfunctions that take place, which are causing that person's body to think it only needs 800 calories per day. Then second, we're going to eat nutrient-dense protein. So we're going to eat somewhere between 90 and 200 grams of nutrient-dense protein per day, depending on our age, gender, and activity level. So 70-year-old, sedentary, small female, more on the 90 to 100 gram end of the spectrum. 20-year-old, crossfitting male, more like the 200 gram end of the spectrum. And this is really important because this is going to help to rev up our metabolism. It's going to help us to maintain lean muscle tissue and preferentially burn fat. And it's also going to trigger an amazing process called muscle protein synthesis, which in and of itself, if triggered three to six times per day, can rebuild up to 250 grams of you per day. And that's an incredibly calorically expensive process. Researchers estimate that anywhere from five to 700 calories could be burnt per day simply synthesizing new tissue in your body if you eat sufficient and high enough quality protein. So an abundance of non-starchy vegetables, a surplus of nutrient-dense protein, then you're going to get the balance of your actual calories from whole food fat because vegetables do not have many calories in them at all. Protein is not a really good source of energy. It's a structural component, so those calories are not necessarily being used for energy. We can get into that later if we have time. So you're getting the vast majority of your energy from whole food fats because it's hormonally healing, and it does all sorts of good things if you're getting it from monounsaturated fats and omega-3 fats, such as those found in fish, to literally reverse the inflammation in your brain that causes this calorie balance to get all messed up. So again, you're getting calories, you're getting therapeutic nutrition, and then if you need something sweet, you're eating low-fructose fruits. So berries and citrus fruits rather than things like bananas, apples, and grapes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's something people don't really realize is that is just – 
laying down all day, you're actually going to burn a good amount of calories just with normal metabolism. I remember doing a body impedance analysis test, just did, you know, just a little uh, electrodes and uh, calculated what my, um, you know, my just resting, what is it, basal metabolic rate or whatever it was. And and it was like at 1,200 or 1,300 calories or something like that, just doing absolutely nothing. And that was a real big, like, paradigm shift for me. This was years ago before ever going to medical school. And I was like, wow, just doing nothing. I burn a, a big amount of calories. That's fascinating to me. Like the average person thinks, oh, my God, I go to the gym and I burn 400 calories, and then I'm eating 2,000 a day. Holy crap, I'm going to, you know, get so fat. It's like people get so obsessed with this. And furthermore, with the whole scale thing, I mean, do you just tell people to throw away their scale? Absolutely, and it's unfortunate because the, there's, a, there's a little rule in, in science that, that scientists don't really want to tell people, and that's uh, we measure what's easy to measure. Like we don't necessarily measure what is useful. We measure what's easy to measure. Cholesterol is a good example of this. Weight is another one. Like the reason right. cholesterol is so popular is because it's really easy to measure. <laughs> there's a lot of other things that are much more meaningful, but they're not easy to measure. Weight is really easy to measure, so that's why everyone measures it, but there's something that's as easy, if not easier, and that's waist circumference. Mm-hmm. The thing that's so beautiful about waist circumference, so if you want to make your scale happy, here's a secret. This is, I, I don't tell this to everybody. I, I warn you, this is, this because I'm going to tell you right now. I'm going to tell you tell how you can lose, are you ready, how to lose yes. 30 to 50 pounds immediately and keep it off for the rest of your life. Are you ready? Okay. I'm not even yes. going to charge you for this. <laughs> Cut off your right leg. <laughs> right you're done the scale right there 30 to 50 pounds gone and the scale will say you were successful you made a good decision false clearly you didn't and again is that a silly example well when you look at the fact that 95.4 percent of people who restrict calories end up yo-yo dieting and that yo-yo dieting has been correlated with just about every terrible affliction that can ever become a person Eh, starvation dieting is a bit like cutting off your metabolic leg it's not a good idea and it will work if success means you drop the number on the scale but that's why you don't want to use the scale because it's going to reward you for slowly killing yourself whereas a waist circumference does a much better job of saying look you want to maintain or build lean muscle tissue and burn body fat and you don't do that through starvation mm-hmm how do, you, how do you turn on the fat-burning hormones? I know that's a big thing that you talk about in your book is all about hormones. So what are, what are some just, you know, easy things people can do that would turn on their fat-burning hormones and turn off the fat-storing hormones? The four food groups I mentioned earlier are going to be 70 to 80% of it. So getting the vast, mm-hmm. like, what you eat in order is non-starchy vegetables, nutrient-dense protein, whole food fats, and low-sugar fruits. That's going to do a huge amount for you. Doing the type of exercise we talked about in the book will also help, but why, let me give a quick explanation of why this matters. So hormones, everyone talks about hormones. It's like synergy in business, right? Like synergy, hormones. <laughs> it's just patriotism. These just like awesome words, which have kind of lost all meaning. I hate the meaning. word synergy. Oh, I hate that word synergy. <laughs> paradigm Uh, okay strategy all right so i'm ready for what are we talking about hormones hormones so the reason that hormones matter so much 
the best way to think about it is hormones are how your various parts of your body talk to each other. So right now we're speaking English. That's why we can understand each other. If your brain wants to communicate something to your gut or vice versa, it's hormones for all intents and purposes that, that make that communication happen. And the reason this matters is people think that, for example, eating calories makes them fat. That's not true. Hormonal signals make you fat. So a great example of this is insulin therapy and diabetics. Diabetics have to rotate where they inject insulin into their body because if they don't, they'll get localized fat deposits because the hormone insulin literally says store fat. Store mm -hmm. fat. When you, it communicates store fat. Uh, an example that I think probably everyone can empathize with intellectually, hopefully, because hopefully no one's ever done this, is the steroids. So steroids are essentially when people inject the hormone testosterone into their body. So someone could literally sit on the couch, change nothing about their life, and inject themselves with steroids, and we would all expect that they would build muscle and burn fat. Why? Because testosterone tells your body, build muscle, and burn fat. So certainly we do not want to inject ourselves with steroids, but what we need to do is use our food and exercise to change the hormones that are circulating in our body so that the conversation between our brain, our gut, our musculature, our adipose tissue stops from being hang on to fat, burn less calories, hang on to fat, burn fewer calories, eat more calories, to being burn more fat, feel more satiated, burn more fat, exude more energy, feel more satiated, maintain lean muscle tissue. If we can change that conversation, then we can change the way our body looks and the way it feels almost automatically because it's, it's really on autopilot at that point. Mm-hmm. That sounds awesome, autopilot. And, and then the exercise frequency, you talk about doing that a lot less. I mean, what, a couple times a week? Is that kind of like all you need, I mean, for, I know for women who are listening, I mean, most of, a lot of my listeners are women, a lot of my patients, so they're going to yoga, like I said, every day, they're doing cardio, like 45 minutes to two hours, you know, when they first come in to see me, a lot of what I do is just unlearning them, you know, just trying to have them literally dump all the knowledge they've had their whole life and just start from scratch, like reset button, let's just forget everything you know and just <laughs> listen to me, listen to what I'm saying, you know, and that makes a big difference, but it's, but but for hear, hearing me tell them to exercise less is, like, so hard for them to hear. But they do that. I mean, I've had patients, and I've talked about this on my show, where I tell them they have to quit CrossFit. They can't do CrossFit anymore. They have to just hike, you know, hike a couple times a week for three months. Or, you know, once once their adrenals are healed, okay, now we can do some intervals twice a week, and we can add in some weights. I mean, and it makes a difference. They actually start to lose weight. It's It's mind-blowing. So... What's kind of your philosophy with that? Like how much exercise does it matter if it's a woman versus a man? I do not see a huge difference between a woman and a man. We're, we're all homo sapiens here, and at the end of the day, the same thing causes diabetes in a man uh, that it does in a woman, and the mm -hmm. same things cause lung cancer in a man as a woman. The same things cause obesity, and that's, uh, you know, obesity is treated as something different. It shouldn't. It's a disease. It's a breakdown of a body's homeostatic mechanism, just like diabetes is. Anyway, so the same for a man and a woman for all intents and purposes for the 90% for the case. And when we talk about exercise frequency, it's really dependent on the type of exercise we're doing. And the reason I say exercise less is because the type of exercise which has been shown to most effectively change the hormonal composition of your body is, is very 
intense. And when I say intense, I don't mean flipping tires and powerlifting. I mean recruiting a lot of muscle fibers in a, in a slow and sustainable and safe way. And intensity is really just another word for the amount of energy it uses. So driving your car at uh, 200 miles an hour is more intense driving than driving your car at 20 miles an hour. And, and you would certainly imagine that you would run out of gasoline faster driving your car more intensely than you would if you were driving your car less intensely. And similarly, if you are exercising with greater intensity, you can't exercise a lot. It's not because you're lazy. It's just because you run out of energy really fast, and it's such a taxing activity that you can't do it frequently. In fact, if you can do it frequently, there's a wonderful irony in these workout DVDs that are so popular nowadays that are like, we're so intense. We're so intense that you should do us 50 minutes a day, six days a week. If something's that intense, how in God's name can you do it 50 minutes a day, six days a week? Like Try to squat your body weight on your back 50 minutes a day, six days a week. It's impossible, right? Try, try sprinting full out 50 minutes a day, six days a week. You can't, right? There's an inverse relationship between the intensity of an activity and the duration and frequency with which you can do it. And research has consistently shown that if you want to change the hormonal composition of your body, the answer is not to dial up quantity of exercise. The answer is to dial up the quality of the exercise that you're doing. And by definition, the higher the quality of your exercise, the higher the intensity, the more energy you're going to use, and the less exercise you can do. So if you're exercising a lot, by definition, it's not high-intensity exercise. Now, this doesn't mean you shouldn't walk 10,000 steps a day. I don't consider that exercise. I consider that just being a person. I think we should all be people. I think there's a reason we have legs. I think we should play with our kids. I think we should walk around. I think things like yoga and tai chi and stretching and Pilates, these restorative activities, should be done as much as we can fit into our lives. They're fabulous for us. However, things like exercise, when we really say exercise, that needs to be done with high intensity, high safety, infrequently, and for short durations. Hmm. Where do you feel like that? Where do you feel like adrenal function comes into it? You know, like if someone's just just pretty wiped adrenally, do you think that that's okay for them to do, or or should they take a break for a while and then add that in? I mean, what's what's your take on that? Someone who has a severe adrenal restriction, just like if someone had the flu, right? If someone has the flu, you're not going to say, "Hey, go do heavy breathing squats until you pass out," right? I mean, if you're, I think you would do. I think you'd still do that. <laughs> Maybe in my younger days, but I have since learned my lesson. Actually, I don't I haven't. know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but no, so people don't understand. Exercise is potent medicine, right? I mean, exercise is a stress on the body. It puts a massive amount of stress on the body. Uh, it can be a positive stress if done appropriately, but it can also be bastardized. A great example of this is people who wake up early to jog. So they compromise sleep to do exercise, which just like wreaks hormonal havoc, right? You should really only be doing intense exercise if you're otherwise quite healthy. Uh, until you get quite healthy in place first, it's going to be counterproductive. Mm-hmm. That's good. I like that. So a lot of the women who come to see me are on the paleo diet, and, and um, sometimes we'll find that, that and they'll come to see me because they're not losing weight on the paleo diet, where men will lose weight just, like I said, you know, just looking at a treadmill, weight just falls off of them. You know, not even getting on the treadmill, just look at it and it just falls off. Whereas a woman, maybe doing the same diet, this, it just it doesn't happen the same. So have you seen this where a woman going on paleo or primal eating, they don't really lose the weight they want, and do you have any idea why this might be the case? Any ideas? 
I do, yes. And there are some fascinating studies in the book that also help to explain yes. that. So accidental, accidental spousal weight loss is something that I have commonly seen. So it's, it's, and it's often the female in relationships trying really hard, and oftentimes she's the food CEO of the household, so her husband or partner ends up also uh, going sane or eating more nutrient-dense food, and their pants start falling off, whereas for the female, just nothing, nothing's happening, and she gets so frustrated. And sometimes people say, well, what, what is it in that moment that's causing that to happen? And, and what, if, you, if you dig into the research a little bit, it's actually not what's happening right then that's causing the problem. It's what has happened years prior that is right. causing the problem. Because what you find in these relationships is oftentimes the man has never counted calories. He's never starved himself. He's never yo-yo dieted. So he has not as severely broken his metabolism. So uh, let's say uh, the woman, though, has yo-yo dieted many times, up and down and up and down and restricted her calories constantly. So just like if you had fractured your ankle six times prior, the seventh time you break it, it's going to take even longer than the first six times for it to get better, the same thing happens here. There's really compelling rodent studies in the book, and the reason there's a lot of rodent studies in the book is because you could never do these studies on people because they'd never let you do it because starvation is torture. But they find that every single time they starve these rats and then let the rats eat food again, they, they, every single time they lose weight slower and gain fat faster when they stop every single time. So, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I'm here to tell the truth. The truth isn't always happy, but just understand that the more often you've yo-yo dieted in the past, the more metabolic healing is going to take place before anything happens. And Mm. you might need to start thinking about weight loss a little bit like you'd think about, or fat loss, excuse me, like a bone healing. So let's go back to the fractured ankle example. You break your ankle, you put in a cast on day one. On day two, it doesn't really seem like anything's happened. On day, day three, it doesn't really seem like anything's happened. In fact, if you're, if you're 70 and you broke your ankle, it, you might have that cast on for a few weeks or months, and it doesn't really seem like anything's happening. But one day, the cast comes off, and you can walk around on your ankle for the rest of your life because it's healed. We need, if you've yo-yo dieted consistently in the past, and you start to say, I'm not going to restrict calories, I'm going to improve food quality, I would basically just say the first three months are healing time. Like it's just time for my body to heal. So your goal is not fat loss at that point. Your goal is getting back to a baseline level of health that will then make uh, fat loss simple for the rest of your life. Hmm. Oh, I love that. I just want to like take a little sound bite out of the show. That is just, it's genius. I love what you said. And, and I have patients do that. I say throw away your scale don't focus. You might gain 10 pounds during the beginning of this, but we're healing your body. Your metabolism is going to heal, and over time you will be able to lose it for good. We've got to do some real healing, and it takes a while to do that. So I just I love that. I think that's brilliantly stated. Um, awesome. So oh, well, thank you. I would and, and love And one, one other just, just quick yeah. distinction that I think might help your listeners with that too is uh, humans consistently, we make mental errors. This is why things like uh, riddles and, and these optical illusions where it's like, which line is longer? And you look at them and you're like, that line is longer. And then the person's like, ha ha, they're both the same length. So our brain consistently makes certain mistakes. So we often think everything works linearly, right? So if I eat 
500 fewer calories, there's going to be this linear progression where I'm going to lose a pound per week, and clearly that will continue to work until I weigh zero pounds, right? No, like that's not, that's not how things work. Your body doesn't necessarily work linearly. If you have a fever and you're healing yourself, it's not like your t- body temperature goes down one tenth of a point every minute, right? Some things don't behave linearly. And that can oftentimes be the case with with fat loss. I've actually seen, sometimes people say fat loss happens quickly at the beginning and then slower. I've seen the exact opposite quite frequently, where an individual we see really no change, very little change in their body composition for weeks or even a couple months. And then one day, they just start shrinking. And it doesn't seem like they've changed anything. It's just like, they start to shrink, and they don't really know what's going on. Well, what's going on is at some point your body's reached a threshold where it's, it's flipped from fat storage mode into fat burning mode. We used to call this in our little uh, community the, the, um, like the waterfall effect, where it's just like boom, and then the floodgates open. So I also wouldn't, just because nothing's happened for two months or three months, uh, things might change dramatically in month four. Mm-hmm. Yes. I've seen that happen too. It's like, wow, all of a sudden. And it's, and it's usually when the patient even, isn't even really trying anymore and all of a sudden, wow, I'm losing weight. That's so cool. It's like a nice side effect because they've started to change their focus on, I'm going to focus on getting healthy, not focus so much on fat loss. And, you know, and they give it some time and all of a sudden they're actually losing weight. So it's, it's great. Okay, I'm going to open up to the phone lines. Um, for you callers on the switchboard, if you'd like to ask a question, go ahead and press 1. I see a few of you guys on the switchboard. If you want to ask a question, press 1. Um, Jonathan, I'd love to know, what do you eat? What's, maybe what did you eat today? What's like your, a day in the life of you? <laughs> well, it's actually, it's actually in the calorie myth book. So there's, oh! a, there's a frequently <laughs> asked question in there. So it's in there. But uh, I, my, my answer is going to be quite boring because it follows those four food groups I just mentioned. I, I drink uh, all sorts of green smoothies. Uh, today I made a bunch of dandelion green smoothies because they had dandelion greens at Safeway, so that was awesome. I had some, some eggs. I had some salmon. I love seafood, so I had some clams and some oysters. I had mm-hmm. macadamia nuts and almonds, and I had uh, a little bit of, of uh, berries, and I had a Quest bar because I like Quest bars. <laughs> and uh, what else? And I drank a lot of water and green tea, and uh, uh, that's, that's probably about it. <laughs> that was that's quite a bit boring. of food, though. That sounds like what I eat. That's awesome. Um, what do you feel about coffee? Do you drink coffee? What's your stance on that? I do drink coffee on occasion. Uh, I Coffee has yeah, – I mean, there's, there's good things about coffee. There's things that aren't <laughs> great about coffee. I personally would – like, if you, if you must have caffeine and you're not addicted to coffee already, I would strongly recommend you get your caffeine from green tea. It is mm. miraculous and add some lemon to it, and it's even more miraculous. Uh, that said, if you drink coffee, uh, I, don't, you know, I don't think we have an obesity epidemic in this country because people are drinking too much coffee, uh, too much right. black coffee, that is. So, yeah, I mean, personally, as a general rule of thumb, if it's not a green smoothie, don't drink things that have calories in it. And they can be like, oh, you wrote a book called The Calorie Myth. Ah, it's not that calories don't exist. It's that it shouldn't be your primary focus. So the general rule of thumb is, you don't drink your calories, right? If you want, if you want to see how bodybuilders get big, they drink calories because it's the easiest <laughs> way to get calories into your body. So don't drink calories. Coffee, calorie-free, a.k.a. black coffee, yeah, it's, it's, it's okay. Green tea, even better. Mm-hmm. 
Um, your wife, Angela, as I said in the beginning, she's super hot. What does she eat? What does she do for exercise? I want to get personal and see what she does. <laughs> well, Angela has a really cool story. She has a really cool story. She started out as a cross-country runner. So when I met her, she did uh-huh. not look uh, like she is today. Because you see today, she is much more of a sprinter body type than that of a cross-country runner. And she did the typical – she literally exercised six days per week at an incredibly high-starch diet – and she's, a tax, uh, she's an accountant, CPA tax manager, so during her busy season leading up to April 15th, she would consistently gain you know, 10 to 20 pounds per year. Okay, so mm-hmm. fast forward. This was, again, this was in her late teens, early 20s. Okay, so now she's in her early 30s, so it's 10 years later. She exercises once or twice per week, smarter exercise, like I described in my book, so higher intensity, higher safety, and she's completely sane meaning she eats non-starchy vegetables, nutrient-dense protein, whole food fats, and low-sugar fruits in that order. In fact, she's even more routine than I am. She eats like salmon and kale and, uh, and eggs and nuts and coconut. They, I mean, she kind of just eats the same stuff every day because that's what she likes to do. And so she eats a lot. She eats a massive amount. In fact, my mother is like, how does someone that size fit that much food in her body? When we went on the low-carb cruise with Jimmy Moore, people were yeah. just like, what, what is, this is crazy. Like, you guys are eating more than anyone else on this ship. How do you physically fit that much food in your body? <laughs> but, yeah, so she eats a lot. She exercises a little. And she is healthier and fitter than she's ever been in her entire life. So. That's awesome. Awesome, awesome. Well, it looks like my caller has the uh, the uh, guts to come on the show now. Okay, so caller from the 770, welcome to the show. What's your name and what's your question? Hi, uh, this is Lance. I'm from San Diego. How are you doing, hey, Dr. Lance. Lowe? Good. good what's your good. question? Um, so I am trying to uh, add chicken back into my diet, and I know that grain-fed animals aren't the best choice, and I was reading on Mark Sesson's uh, blog about the fact that if it's organic, I guess that's okay, but the best thing that you can do is get pasture. So I wanted to just get your opinion on uh, the whole, since some of the organic chickens, they have to eat grains in order to meet the USDA standards. I was wondering what your opinion is on that, because I know that with the grains, it raises the omega-6 to omega-3 ratio, and you kind of want to stay away from that. Um, Jonathan, did you want to chime in with that, or what do you, you want to? Oh no, you you can go ahead. It's all good. Oh no, I was asking. I was asking both of you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, Lance, you know that um, you know you want to get things pasture raised if you can. I know you're in San Diego, and there's some great farmers markets here, so I I think you're able to get pasture raised chickens. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, chickens should be able to eat bugs and things like that. They don't. They shouldn't be just fed grains because that's not really their natural diet. And you know, and unfortunately, oftentimes the grains have arsenic actually in them, and that that creates insulin resistance. So the chickens get a lot fatter, which makes them grow a lot faster. And it's just not a good thing if you can have you know organic and pasture raised chicken. That would be better. So I would just say if you can be selective and go that route. Um, if you can't go that route, then definitely organic chicken would be second best choice. But pasture raised is really the way to go if you can do it. Okay. Yeah. Did you have any follow-up? No, I would. I would agree with that, and I think it's it's uh, the the one piece of feedback that I would add, which is very much in line with that, is is really just making sure you focus on the big things. I, I can't tell you how many people I have who ask me a very a question very similar to the excellent question you just asked, 
at the same time, I, I might come back to it with them and say, hey, how many hours of sleep do you get a night? And they say, mm-hmm. uh, four, five, maybe five. And I would say, I would urge you to take all the mental energy you currently spend on where you acquire your chickens from and focus <laughs> it on getting seven hours of sleep per night consistently, right? And getting and eating, like, how many servings of green leafy vegetables do you eat per day on average? If you ask most Americans, they'll say zero. I would say getting that number up to at least five, like mm. spending your energy on that before think about it like if your car was on fire or you saw your neighbor's car on fire and then you saw them like using a toothbrush to clean off the grill you'd be like dude your car is on fire what are you doing right same uh-huh. kind of thing here <laughs> cool okay uh, yeah i appreciate that um understanding setting the priorities as far as what it is that you're eating because i know that the whole movement is about eating real foods And a lot of people have problems with just getting the base of their diet right instead of wondering about, like, organic this or pasteurized that. So I appreciate that. Awesome. Thanks for your question, Lance. And I will see you soon. All right. Yes, you will. All right. All right. Well, Jonathan, that's pretty much our time. Do you have any parting words, anything you want to leave with us before you go? And then also where can people follow up on what you're doing and, and keep in touch with you? In closing, I just urge people at the end of the day, there's two things you can do to try to change the way you look and feel. One is you can change the quantity of food you're eating. The other is you can change the quality of food you're eating. And studies have consistently shown that if you change the quality of food you're eating, your brain will automatically take care of the quantity of food you're eating. So why not do that? It's the easier and more effective approach. And then if you want more information on that, check out Sane Solution. That's S-A-N-E, SaneSolution.com. We have an amazing amount of free resources and apps and online programs and videos and exercise demos and all kinds of cool stuff. So SaneSolution.com. Right on. Good job, Jonathan. Good to have you on the show. Thanks for being an awesome, fun guest. And when will I see you again? Are, are you going to be at the next JJ thing, or where am I going to where am I going to be able to see your awesome smile and dance with you and Angela again? And where am I going to see you again? I'm, I'm wondering that. I don't know. Well, the, uh, the other next thing is in Florida, which is like literally the furthest point away from where I live right. in the country. So I'm not. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to make it. I could either go to Florida or, like, Japan. So, like, I'd probably rather spend my money flying to Japan. <laughs> so, I don't know if I'll be at that one, but hopefully soon I thereafter. Don't blame you. I don't blame you. Well, I will see you soon either way. So, awesome. Thanks so much, and um, I'll talk with you soon. Beautiful. Have a good one. Okay. Thanks, Jonathan. Bye. All right, you guys, that's our show. Thanks so much for listening. And definitely check out Jonathan's book, The Calorie Myth. It is awesome. I really, really like it, fully support it. And um, it's got some really good, um, just some real clear things to do in here, like specific exercises, uh, specific foods and recipes and stuff like that. So I think you guys will really enjoy that. And um, for next week's show, I have Dr. Beverly Whipple on the show. She is the author of... What did it say? The G-Spot and the Science of Orgasm. So that will be all about sex next week. Who doesn't want to hear about that? So check that out. Uh, If you guys want to learn more about me, I'm at DrLaurenNoel.com. And please sign up for my email updates. I'll be sending out a video of my highlights for each week's podcast. So it will be a lot of fun. Have a wonderful night, and I will check you guys next week. Thanks. Bye.
North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores. Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10.